welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. You sure are. Yeah, yeah, I am. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> starting early today. I feel like you needed a little positive you, reinforcement. You say, you say starting early. I mean, she didn't interrupt hello. the hello. So I feel <laughs> like she's actually coming in a little bit late there. That, of course, is Catherine Rubino. And you also heard Christopher Williams there. We're your Above the Law crew, or at least the, the part of the crew that talks on a podcast every week. We are here to, as usual, give you a weekly roundup of some of the wild and entertaining legal stories of the week. Uh, but, you know, as we always do, we begin by having a little bit oh, of come on. small talk. Really? Okay, fine, Joe. What did you do this weekend that was so damn exciting? You need a freaking trumpet before you begin the conversation. I'm glad you asked. I did a lot of cooking this weekend. I felt very vindicated as far as being a chef. I, you know, made my own bread and I made pasta sauce that like in a slow cooker long time to like really get the flavors out. I made multiple breakfasts. Oh, I I was really killing it this week. A chipotle hollandaise sauce. Oh, I'm, and I'm proud really, we are of you. Yeah, I mean, I'm fantastic. That was really what I wanted to relate to the group. How about everybody else? Well, I'm going to let you live because the first thing I was expecting was for you to riff off your eggnog recipe because that was the only thing I thought that you knew how to cook. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, based no. Based off the podcast a couple weeks ago. So. so actually, on that note, I did test the first batch of eggnog and... I don't love it. I feel like it's... Who'd have sunk you? <laughs> well, no, it's like... Let the, eggs sit for several weeks is not <laughs> yeah. a recipe for delicious. Yeah. It is a recipe wait. for delicious, apparently, but... Was, wait, is it, was this in the um, the cookbook you were working on called Flirting with Salmonella? <laughs> it, in, no, in no way is there any salmonella issues here, uh, partially okay. because the eggs are pasteurized, which is why you get an immersion cooker. However... Mm-hmm. You the, bought a sous vide machine? Yeah, well, okay. to do the pasteurization and other things. But in, in your, just because you wanted to do pasteurization, you couldn't just like. Well, I didn't want salmonella here. We're bringing, not that. But I mean, like pump. you can buy pasteurized eggs. They're incredibly difficult to find, actually. Oh. There's no place around me for a long way with them. Anyway, the point is, I don't like it, but not because it's not good. It's uh, it's just super boozy. Uh, and, and that's norm- a problem for Normally, you? I would say that's a good thing, but I mean... It, I'm so confused. The amount of alcohol... It's like, it's like trumps, down is up. Okay. The amount of alcohol trumps the entire taste. Like, you get no nog feel out of it. It's more like... It tastes Egg. more like a bunch of booze... No, it tastes like booze with cream, which is a delightful flavor, but it's not eggnog, you know? Mm. Okay, maybe we just had different childhoods, but I thought that was the flavor of eggnog. No, eggnog has a... booze. Eggnog has a definite flavor that's different than just being cream you know it's like nutmeg cream and booze i'm yeah. not letting that i'm not letting that slide you were drinking eggnog as a kid well i mean we could sip it we were always yeah, allowed I, to have a sip got, of anything i got milk with cinnamon in it and that was it like <laughs> <laughs> well eggnog, all, eggnog also like you don't well, i'm have irish to have, we were always allowed to try anything we wanted and you don't <sighs> always you don't have to have booze in eggnog it's just you know you but that's are. what I'm saying. I felt like the flavor of eggnog was predominantly booze, cream, and nutmeg. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What did you do this weekend, Chris? Oh, I did something I would not advise our listeners to do. I went gambling because <laughs> I have a streak of never leaving a casino and not profiting. 
So I'm just kind of like, I know the house always wins. My mom worked at a, as she's like, she's one of the people like when you like, hey, I just lost my child's inheritance. She was like, okay, cool. You go home in a limo. Like she was the person you would call for that. So I'm assuming ah. the house always wins, but I'm up like 300 bucks, which is nice. big money to me. So I went to play some craps. I still don't know how to play craps, but I just I don't think anybody does. I, think I, know, I know how to play craps. But like, not mm-hmm. really. Like no, the it, pass line. No, I there. Yeah, well, uh, playing the pass line and then the odds on the pass line is the best way to play craps to the extent mm. that your odds are the best. Actually, ironically, it's slightly better if you play the don't pass line, but nobody does that. The point is, you because that's antisocial. We, exactly. But if you play the pass line, you're fine. But there are other bets on the table that you can do. You just have lower odds of winning. I mean, at those. I'm aware that there are other bets. It's like a large table. Anyway, yeah, I, mean, I made money. And it yeah. was great. <laughs> it was very nice. Uh, back to me. Um, okay. Earlier than the weekend, I made some really cool pot roasts. They were very nice and savory. Ooh. Had some red wine in there, some pork shoulder, a little bit of potatoes. You know, was, there are more. There other people can cook too. Joe's what I'm saying. So. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Actually, you've inspired me. I think a pot roast might be in the offing for me in the near future. Here. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you go. Anyway. Bone slow. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or I could use this sous vide machine. Who knows? Jesus Christ. Yeah. That'd be the ultimate I think sous vide has to be the most pretentious way to cook, right? Uh, I like, mean. That's for sure the most pretentious. Like somebody's like, oh, I sous vide. Oh, wait. My, my brother mills his own flour. I think that takes over. Okay. that Okay. Your brother wins. Yeah. Congratulations. The Patrice family must be very proud. You ever see those videos on like Instagram? It's like some dude who has like manicured nails and a lumberjack shirt and just making like Michelin star meals with like a big yeah. ass knife and like like a pestle and mortar that's probably like a good two miles away from a Walgreens or a Walmart yeah. but you can't tell because they're like evergreen trees. I think that's the most pretentious. They'll be like, oh, right. I'm going to use these eggs. Like, you didn't, where'd you get those eggs from? There aren't any chickens <laughs> nearby. You went to Walmart. Like, we, we know what you did, Stephen. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably talk about law, so... <laughs> We'll put an end to small talk. Okay. Yep. Great. So great. Well, so our uh, our, tra- our long national nightmare is over for one more week. So we have talked in the past on this show about Ms. Clanton, the law student at Aslaw who was fired by a conservative group for being too racist for them. Which yep, too racist <laughs> let for that Turning sink Point in. USA. But uh, ultimately, has mm. now got lined up multiple prestigious judicial clerkships, uh, which we've talked about the problematic nature of that. But the uh, United States House Judiciary Committee also finds this a little problematic and wrote a letter to Chief Justice Roberts asking about, you know, why is this happening? And according to the letter, they were alerted to this story by who? Me! Yes. uh, It was me! Congratulations, yes. It was me! (laughs) The letter from Congress to the Chief Justice says uh, on footnote one, basically we've, it has come to our attention some very disturbing stories. Footnote, Catherine Rubino, see these, you know, correctly blue booked. Well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, well, I specifically think it's very, and I think you all agree with me, but I don't necessarily want to speak for anybody. Uh, I think it's important to identify people who are, primed for the next being the next level of prestigious uh, legal minds, right? And federal clerkships are a way that the legal profession sort of pushes folks to that next bigger and better level. 
and identifying the people who have problematic pasts who are being pushed into that next level is an important thing. And I think that's actually what the letter that the Judiciary Committee wrote is focused on. You know, they specifically say this is not to sort of indict the individual. They don't name Crystal Clanton, but I will. Um, but rather identify, I mean, listen, if you don't know her name, you can't figure out where she's working. You can't figure out that it's a problem, right? So whatever. But it is important to note that despite an easily Googleable problematic past, two federal judges decided it doesn't matter and are happy to put her a little bit further on the path. And let's be clear, it's unlikely that it will end with Judge Pryor as the as the circuit court that she is currently scheduled to clerk for after uh, clerking for Judge Mays in Alabama. Uh, But that's unlikely to be the last of her forays into the top level of the legal profession. What she did after getting fired from Turning Point USA is work for Ginny Thomas. Clarence's wife has lots of pictures on her Instagram of her and Clarence. You know, I, I think, as I said in the original story about her, she may have texted her co-workers, I hate black people, but she certainly found one that she can use to her benefit yeah. uh, and post pictures of her and Clarence up close and personal. And So I'm you think pu- she's uh, going to go work for Claire Bear? Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't she? Also, I mean, listen, she's went to uh, ASLAW, that's George Mason's law school for the uninitiated, but Clarence Thomas also has the best record on the Supreme Court of picking clerks that are outside of the, you know, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Columbia, you know, very, very tippy top of the um, rankings. So picking somebody from Mason is in line with Clarence's worldview, yeah, yeah. which which I actually do admire. I think that there are more talented people than just at the very top of the law schools and absolutely federal clerkship should go to people outside those things. So that's a good thing he does. So it seems, yeah. yeah. I wonder if when... Clarence picked a student from Aslaw. He just poured some out for his boy Scalia and was like, (laughs) you know, you feel the vibes, whoever he is. Well, he hasn't done it yet, but I think Catherine's got a point. It seems like that would be a likely landing spot. You know, if she still wants to clerk at the Supreme Court, because who knows, they, you know, the way these clerkship bonuses go and the the risk that firms are uncritical about who the clerkships are, uh, as opposed to just kind of rubber stamping, uh, was an 11th Circuit clerkship. I guess that's a big deal. Here's a bunch of money. And that's something that we've also talked about, about the need for these law firms to get a little more savvy about clerkships and understanding that just having a circuit clerkship at this point doesn't necessarily translate into you having developed great skills in an apprenticeship with a good lawyer. Because Yeah, well, that's what yeah. happens when there was a president who a bunch of folks who were ranked unqualified by the yeah. ABA are now on the court, right? So that's that is a side effect of where that happens. But listen, if she does wind up going on to a Supreme Court clerkship, she's probably going to wind up at Jones Day, who has zero interest in critically evaluating where folks are clerking. Because remember, one of their associates is now a federal judge. So, you know, who cares? Yeah. An associate making the leap directly to judge who had been clerking a year before the cycle before being nominated, which just really astounding and problematic. But you know. But pointing out the way that this has become increasingly problematic over the last few years is, I think, valuable. Yeah. 
Well, let's hear from Lexicon now, and we'll be right back to talk about more on the other end. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. Cool. So one story that, Chris, you flagged for us is uh, we're coming, you know, we're monitoring this Rittenhouse trial that's going on in Kenosha. But there was a little bit of a tech story that happened here that you highlighted. Yeah. So at some point during the trial, the prosecutor would have wanted to show a video. But the thing is, it was it was small. So we wanted to do like what most people do when they're um, watching something and it's kind of small. You just kind of zoom in, just like use the pinch function and blow it up. And the defense was like, "No, that's going to that's going to distort the content." So people on the jury had to watch this Zoolander is this for ants video, and it just seemed like a really easy thing that there was no need to get bogged down in like the legal minutia of a pinch function. Uh, yeah. It was just weird, given considering like all the the jazz handiness of this trial. Um, you know, it's like the random, random slice of Asian people over food. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, like Trump's superhero theme song playing on his phone, which I think like, I would assume maybe, maybe on like paragraph three of judicial code, they tell you to moot your phone in a high profile case. I don't know. But this just seemed like something that was really goofy. And I'm like, are you trying to gather attention toward yourself? Like, I don't know. It, was, it just seemed like a, a, a dumb thing to harp on. So we talked about this on the, uh, we are, you know, I, for those longtime listeners, you know that I'm also a panelist on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. Legal, yeah, Legal Tech Week uh, Journalist it, Roundtable. Yeah. You know, I'm not <laughs> even trying to make fun of you about this. See, but you, mm. But anyway. I'm like, in your head, do I live there rent yes. free? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, on that show, we actually did have a conversation about the legal tech angles involved in this because- the argument is, of course, it's not like the CSI effect when that show came out. And now there's CSI Vegas, which I think is just CSI. I don't understand. I mean, it has the original it's in Vegas, though. Right. Right. But it, the but original was in Vegas. Vegas. That's the part that gets me. But this it's is like, the Vegasy part. The, the, but the, it's, I, because, it's because the original went off the air. It was a Vegas. It had a bunch of spinoffs. And now it's part of the original cast back. I, I, I know too I mean, much. it just seems like I, anyway, I too whatever. <laughs> All right, we're getting distracted. Oh, there was this thing called the CSI effect uh, that people, by watching CBS procedurals, juries started to believe that everything was technologically possible, that you could use a satellite to zoom in on somebody's license plate and stuff like that, which you can't, but it was giving this kind of false sense of scientific value to juries, which led them to make some potentially wrong decisions because they had presumptions about what was technologically possible that wasn't true. Anyway, zooming in on a video is not going to give you a crystal clear picture. You're going to end up with distortion because you're, you know, the pixels are still the same. You're zooming in. Uh, you can see a little bit more, but it's going to be a little lower quality. And that's just kind of how this works. The argument being presented in the case was that well, we don't know if there's like algorithms and stuff that when they pinch that they're, because they in order to make the picture look better, even though there's no technical ability to do that, 
software is designed to do stuff like take visual clues from stuff around it and fill that in so the picture is artificially clearer than it would otherwise be. And that's the argument was that by zooming in, you're getting an artificial picture of what's happening as opposed to the pure uncut video. The flip side of this, of course, and the part that I, in, in our Legal Tech Week, we had a robust debate about this because one of the panelists is a former public defender who was arguing that, you know, look, this is the sort of thing the prosecution need has the burden to prove. If you're going to introduce something like this that is unproven, they have to prove that it is scientifically sound and would not be distorting the image. My flip side is that, and she also cited breathalyzers. There was a controversy a few years ago about these people who've been convicted of DWIs for years based on breathalyzers that they've now turned out were wrong. Just nobody knew, and everyone was just kind of rubber stamping this breathalyzer evidence when the breathalyzers themselves were wrong. And so that's why prosecutors should be forced to, you know, explain what they got, you know. But the flip side that I said was the difference with that is that that's kind of a black box technology that only the government uses, whereas, you know, the iPad is something we all understand. We've all seen it. We all know how it works. We know that when we zoom in on little Janie's dance recital, we can see her clearly, and we know that's what it is. Like the the fact that this is common technology actually militates a little bit toward we should be accepting it. And at what point do you draw the line and say that technology is so ubiquitous that the prosecution doesn't have to prove that it's true? The defense has to prove that there's some sort of a problem. Anyway, it was an interesting talk. Well, it is interesting, too, because, you know, I don't think that those kind of tech skills are necessarily something people learn in law school. Right. I mean, well, because you go to law school to be a lawyer and not like a tech analyst or something like that. Or an accountant. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. And, And there's so many accounting cases out there. But, you know, you've gone to law school to be a lawyer and not an accountant. Which is why you should take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. You're laughing over there? <laughs> I am. <laughs> you, you just pleased with your uh, transition there? I, I was. I was. I was pretty happy with it. I thought, I thought so. Teamwork makes the dream work. I mean, I think that's true. You didn't go to law school to do talk radio. <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> the most important story of the weekend, though, which, you know, now we talked about the House Judiciary Committee citing Catherine in a conversation with the Chief Justice of the United States. And we talked about a murder trial that is going on. But, you know, Taylor Swift has re-released an album Let's talk about that. It's pretty important. I mean, mm. it seems like seems yeah. like that should be yeah. the the big story of the week. Yeah. She re-released Red, Taylor's version, mm-hmm. which has a 10-minute version of All Too Well, which mm. is very exciting for Swifties out there. But but I'm sorry, this is a legal story, question mark? It is a very legal story. Okay. So why is she re-releasing it? Does anybody know? Because she no longer owns the right to her own masters. She never had the right to her own masters. Well, she tried to buy them. Right. Uh, So this is entirely a contractual and intellectual property story. Mm. uh, And one of those reasons why, you know, it's important to think like a lawyer when you Ah. hear stories that may seem like they're non-legal. So, yeah, her original 
label had the masters to all of her early albums. And when she left, she refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement where she, you know, would have agreed not to badmouth the person that was running that organization who she was very much interested in badmouthing because she had lots of problems with him and did not want to be silenced. So as part of that, the retaliation was, well, you don't get access to these masters, which are currently owned by Roy Disney's family, as it turns out, because they ended up buying this guy out. So they own the masters and are not letting her use those. But she realized that the way copyright operates is that it's a copyright in the performance, the manifestation of the work of art, not the work of art necessarily itself. So her going out and making her own... uh, Well, I believe she was spurred on by a tweet by Kelly Clarkson encouraging her to do it as well. But the other thing that I thought was interesting, apparently the rights to the masters, the current owners were trying to sell them because Taylor re-releasing new versions of it has obviously diluted their investment. Um, And they're trying, they were trying to sell it. And apparently the rumor is that uh, in trying to make those sales, they argued, well, I mean, it's not like she's really going to re-record every album. And uh, a lot of people were like, I mean, Taylor Swift recorded two albums during quarantine because like she's absolutely the person who is going to go ahead and re-record everything. Like, I mean, it's smart. Like she gets the ability to put out a version that one assumes her fans will flock to rather than listen to the ones that she has no stake in. Mm -hmm. Uh, She gets to do an end run around the efforts to lock her out of her own legacy. It's smart. Actually, there was a, I'm trying to think. There was a story like this in the past, I think. I, I'm not not quite the same. If I recall, when Sinatra left Capital or one of his his labels to start his own label, there was a legal dispute over him basically releasing the same album under his, new, his yeah. new label and that there were basically these two albums that were substantially the same, one of which was his and one was his... Label. Then former label, yeah. Uh, so it's not completely unheard of. So everything old is new again. But yeah, no, that's uh, that's why you got to do your uh, intellectual property, kids. And also just never bet against Taylor Swift taking the extra mile to be petty. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, that I mean, just seems like, you know, do your due diligence on the people that you're against. Trying to mess with, yeah. yeah. I just know that when this is a hypo and some professors... IP or contract final. Yeah. Let us know so we can <laughs> totally not make fun of that professor for not actually thinking of a hypothetical, but just copy and pasting something that they saw in the news because teachers don't I mean, do that. Well, that's a great question. So how do we feel about that, taking things from the news? It's certainly better than reusing it from the year before, which is an actual problem that happens all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it happens all the time. We write about it constantly where, you know, teachers will reuse certain hypotheticals. Not everyone has access to the model answers from three years ago's, you know, test or whatever. And pulling something from the, you know, ripped from the headlines is it's certainly... It's at least new. Yeah. yeah it's, if it's yeah, from it's, this year's yeah, headlines. Yeah. I, I think that it's fine. I have no issue at all with it. And most of them will change the facts slightly or in some way to kind of tease out additional issues. So I, I think it's fair game. Taylor Swift, 
re-record song about assaulting her boyfriend. And then a series of copycat assaults happened. Liability? Discuss. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, is, uh, uh, no, I mean, if it's good enough for Law & Order to just rip bum, things bum. off from, oh, yeah. I, I it's required, I have, it's required. I know. I, what I'm, the what I'm saying effects, is I don't think I have that sound effect. Jesus, Come on. Joe, falling down on the I mean, job that you've taken on for yourself. It's whoa, a terrible I don't one. think, mm, I don't, mm, I don't mm, like getting. Mm, I like those growling noises. That seems weird. Bite. Hmm. What we could do is we could just re-record all the sound. <laughs> <rights>. <laughs> <laughs> Who owns the masters? Keep your eyes out for Thinking Like a Lawyer Joe's edition, uh, which should be coming up soon and has none of this in it. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that the doing the real life stuff is good. There's a value to that. That said, I will say, uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about this one on this show, but I did have an unfortunate moment in law school where I flipped the page to the next question, and it was ripped from the headlines several years earlier, but a story from several years earlier about a car crash in which a bunch of people died, but it was conflict of laws. So it was about these people being across the border and what happens when they're in this car, car from this state and this other state when they're from here and yada, yada. Uh, but it was a real life story of people that I actually knew who died. So that was Damn. a little bit of a jarring thing. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't particularly close with these people, but it was nonetheless a situation where I was like, oh my. And it definitely threw me off to yeah. see, you know, cause it's, it's jarring when you uh, are out of nowhere are kind of hit with that. Like, wait a so. second. I, I, I know what yeah, happened. I know <laughs> what happened and all the people's names. Yeah. And yeah, it was problematic on that front. But so that's a, that's an argument for not necessarily taking the, uh, but I think in intellectual property, you're, you're safe. I don't think anyone's going to be really traumatized by learning more about Taylor's relationships with people that she's complaining about at this point, you know, cause it I changes mean, over time. She's not like still complaining about Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I totally agree. The people who are saying that is like, no, yeah. she's re-releasing an album right. from then. Right. It's not like she's still. And, like, and people are like, well, she is like the 10 minute version of All Too Well. And it's like, but it's not like she rewrote it. She had that original 10 minute version at the time when she recorded the song. They were like, that's too long friend and so <laughs> she cut it down but she still knows it and so she, yeah I, I mean that annoys me I think it's a bunch of misogyny when people are like she's still pining over Jake Gyllenhaal I'm like no she's not she's just trying to make a buck yeah no yeah there no, she, you go yeah thanks yeah. there you go yeah no I, I absolutely think that's the case uh, I don't think she's yeah and I saw a bunch of memes that are obviously I did too and I was yeah. like come on she's moved on to other people she's about that's to write not true she's been in a long term relationship for like three years she's very happy like mm, that that's just seems it, it's the guy that Lover that album was based on she's still with him I'm not familiar with the catalog really mm. well well that's that's a you problem well fair enough so with all that said, I think we've had a, a robust discussion today. We certainly have. Yeah, so if there's nothing else from anyone else, I'm going to do that process where I start okay. wrapping up. Okay, well, you can, you can, yeah, I mean, if you think that that's the right move, you can go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. This is this okay. is so very meta. I feel like I'm in an excerpt of uh, Infinite Jest. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically hey. how Joe tries to live his life. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. You should be subscribed to the show. That way you don't miss them when they come out, even though I think you probably are subscribed anyway, but go ahead. You should be leaving reviews for the show, not just stars, but also write something. The more engagement you show, the more 
the algorithms pick that up and go, hey, somebody really cares about this show. So do that. You should be reading above the law so that you can see these stories as they come out and, you know, get a little bit of a different angle on them than just the ones that we talk about. And we also have more content than just the three stories we usually talk about on this show. You should be listening to the other shows we have. Catherine's the host of The Jabot, where she talks to various folks in the legal industry about diversity issues. I am on the aforementioned Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable, where we talk about legal tech every week in a webinar format, but also comes out eventually as podcasts, and is streamed on Facebook, too. That's another way you can see that show. With all that said, you should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. That's the numeral one. Chris is at Rights for Rent. We would like to thank Noda, powered by MT Bank, and Lexicon for sponsoring the show. And I think that's everything. Peace. Yeah. All right. Talk to everybody later.